Tonight's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, to chapter 5, verse 1. This can be found on page 1171 of the Blue Church Bibles. That's page 1171, chapter 421. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and, and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are, are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, and he bears the children and bears the children of who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is, she is our, our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman for you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud you who are never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than those who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free, woman, free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children, not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This is God's word. Josh, thank you so much for reading our passage. Good evening, folks. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word, um, and thank you that we are free in Christ. Help us to um, see that a bit more this evening and to uh, marvel in that and rejoice in that truth. Amen. Amen. Folks, uh, I have to be honest with you. I found uh, preparing this passage quite hard. Um, and I think that's because I think these verses actually form one unit with our passage last week. So I was thinking, if I were to preach this again, I probably would do it in one talk. So we, um, I was thinking, you know, what is new in this passage? A lot of it just feels like it's repeated. We've been here. We've covered this ground before. Um, but I think I've learned a couple of things from that. When things are repeated, I think we learn that they're really important, right? God really wants us to hear that truth. That's why he's repeating it. Uh, so I think that's one thing, uh, but I also think there is some newness um, in this passage. Now, last week, uh, I started by asking you if, you, if, if you if you'd ever been duped or deceived by anyone, because that is what happened to the Galatians, right? That is what the, the Judaizers, the false teachers who were trying to get them to become more Jewish were doing. So th th they were saying things like, look... It's great that you have faith. But has no one told you that faith isn't enough? Like us, you also need to obey the law 
then, then you'll truly belong to God. And they're falling for this, right? But Paul's been showing them time and time again that actually they are the real deal. And we're going to see that again this evening, that they are the real deal. And actually going to the law, rather than being spiritual progress, actually puts them into spiritual regress. So we've seen that they are God's people. Why? Through, the, through faith. Because of their faith. Law does not make you become one of, obeying the law doesn't enable you to become one of God's people. It is faith, right? So we saw this in chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in chapter 3, verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through what? Through faith. So the the Judaizers have got into the Galatians' heads, and they're causing them to have some doubts. But Paul's saying, hey, look, you are, you are the real deal. Now, here's where we're going, to, here's where we're going tonight. We have two points. Sorry, they're not, they're not going to be up on the screen, so I'll just explain them to you. Uh, the first one is, you are the real deal. Okay, so he's going to hammer that point home. You are the real deal. And he's going to do that by saying, you have the right mother, and you belong to the right city. Now, you might think that sounds a bit weird, but hopefully it'll make sense um, in just a bit. So you are the right deal, and we're going to see that the Judaizers, the false teachers, they are not the real deal. Okay, so let's dive into our first point. You are the real deal. If you have faith, you really are God's people. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this evening. How does Paul drive this point home that we are full members of God's family? Not outsiders or merely second-class citizens. We are full members. Here's what he does. He gives us a couple of Old Testament allusions. And the first allusion is intended to communicate that people of faith have the right mother. Now, what does that mean? Early in the letter, you might remember that Paul said that believers have the right father. So in chapter 3, verse 29, he said, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But now, instead of focusing on a Christian spiritual father, he's focusing on a Christian spiritual mother. And here's how he does it. He compares two of Abraham's sons. So have a look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, that's Hagar, and the other by the free woman, that's Sarah. His son by the slave woman, that's Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman, that's Isaac, was born as the result of a divine promise. So Abraham's son, Ishmael, he's mothered by Hagar. And his son, Isaac, is mothered by Sarah. Now, when we read that, did you notice the crucial, a crucial difference that Paul wants to highlight between these two sons? It's how they were born. So how was Ishmael born? He was born because Sarah and Abraham had basically given up on ever having a child together. 
So although God had promised Abraham when he was 75 that he would have many descendants, after waiting for about 10 or 11 years, Sarah tells Abraham, look, we've been waiting a while, haven't we? Why don't you just sleep with my servant, Hagar, and maybe we can have children through her? And Abraham goes, okay. So he takes Hagar as his concubine, and Hagar subsequently falls pregnant and gives birth to Ishmael. Now, what does Paul highlight about this birth? So he says that the child, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. What does that mean? It means that he was born as a result of Sarah and Abraham's own efforts or own works. Now contrast that with Isaac's birth. So he's born 13 years um, after Ishmael was born, when Sarah is 90 years old. Was this child born by works? No. This child was born by the Spirit. And that's because 90-year-old women don't normally give birth. This child's birth was a result of God fulfilling his promise. That's why it says in verse 23 that he was born how? By promise. You see, Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah wanted to take matters into their own hands. But Isaac, he's born because God performed a miracle. God kept his promise and caused Sarah to give birth. When folks, let's be honest, it seemed all but impossible. So Isaac is the son of promise. And God says that his blessings to the nations will come through him. It's also Isaac, not Ishmael, who will receive the inheritance. That is, he's going to get the bulk of Abraham's possessions. Now you might be thinking, why all this talk of Isaac and Ishmael? What's the point? Look at verse 28. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And then in verse 31, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Why has why Paul traced these two lines of descent? To the false teachers, they're telling the Galatian Christians, hey, look, if you really want to be a part of God's family, then you need to obey the law. But Paul is saying, look, you are genuine descendants of Abraham. Not biologically, but spiritually. You're born by promise. You're born of the Spirit, just as Isaac was. So why on earth are you tempted to be like the child born according to the flesh? Do you see why what the Judaizers are offering is actually empty. That they're trying to get Christians to become like children of the flesh rather than children of the promise. And Paul is thinking, oh my goodness, guys, you cannot fall for this. And here's why what they're teaching. Uh, it's not only unappealing, 
It is that, but it's also problematic. Who does the inheritance go to? It's not to the child born of the flesh. It's to the child of the promise, the child born to Sarah. So Paul's saying, spiritually speaking, Sarah is your mother. You have the right mother, and therefore the inheritance is yours. So don't be swayed by the false teachers. Brothers and sisters, if you're trusting in Jesus, then you are heirs. You have a glorious inheritance. Your children are the promise born by the Spirit. In short, spiritually, you're the real deal. Here's another reason Christians are the real deal. They belong to the right city. So in verses 24 to 26, uh, Paul says that each mother, Hagar and Sarah, represent a covenant as well as a city. Now notice what he says of the first mother, Hagar. Have a look at verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. What do we learn here about Hagar? So she's associated with Mount Sinai. Now, what happened at Mount Sinai? That's where the law was given to Israel, right? So Mount Sinai, that's where the Mosaic law happened. And Hagar is associated with that. But did you notice the shock in these verses? So Paul says that the law, which he refers to as Mount Sinai, he says that's enslaving. Now this isn't necessarily new. We saw this in verse 3, where Paul said uh, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. He was speaking of the law there. And then we saw last week when Paul told the Galatians that they'd be, they'd be turning to slavery if they wanted to live according to the law. But now, it really couldn't be made any clearer. Living according to the Mosaic law equals being a slave. If, if you live by the law... You have not been freed. Now, what are the implications for us? If you think that the way to be righteous is by, for example, keeping the Ten Commandments, which was given at Mount Sinai, then you will be enslaving yourself. And that's because, friends, we just cannot perfectly keep the commandments. And, but, if, but if that's what you're trying to do, inevitably you'll fail to keep them, and then you're going to feel crushed. And, and you might even doubt your salvation. So you might think to yourself, if I were a true Christian, then surely I'd be able, I'd be able to keep God's laws. 
I'd be a more upright person, more moral person. Maybe the fact that I, I can't keep his laws, or maybe that just shows that I'm not really saved. Friends, this is why it is so important to know that our righteousness does not, it does not derive from our good behavior or deeds or how well we keep the Ten Commandments. But we keep, don't we keep on looking to how we live our lives, right? For kind of affirmation. Am I really a Christian? Let me see how I'm living my life. Are you trusting in Jesus? Your righteousness comes from Jesus. It's not a result of your performance. And folks, I cannot emphasize enough just how amazing and reassuring that is. So Paul has just associated the Mosaic Covenant with slavery. What else does he associate with slavery? Have a look at verse 25. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Which city does Paul say is in slavery? Jerusalem. Israel's holy city is in slavery. What does Paul mean? Folks, where the Judaizers come from? They've come from Jerusalem. Now, the Galatians, they might think, hey, that's, this is an amazing thing. These guys, they're coming from Jerusalem. This gives them real, um, gives these teachers real spiritual authority. Look, they've come from the holy city. Perhaps the Galatians view Jerusalem a bit like how Roman Catholics view the Vatican or, or Muslims view Mecca. But Paul says, don't think of Jerusalem as the holy city. Think of it as the enslaved city. Why? It's a bit, it's a bit weird for him to describe a city in that way. Why is he describing the city of Jerusalem as being in slavery? Because Jerusalem is the law's spiritual headquarters. You see, the law's HQ is no longer in Mount Sinai. It's moved. It's relocated. It is now in Jerusalem. So Paul's saying, Galatians, don't listen to the Judaizers just because they come from Jerusalem and they're respected there. Of course they're, they're respected there. What do you expect? Jerusalem is the law's heartland. Do you see why they're respected there? And because it's the law's heartland, that is exactly why the city is in slavery. And friends, I, I think it's hard to explain just how controversial Paul's comments would have been. I think it would be like... You know, maybe the Pope saying Vatican doesn't really matter. Now, what locations would the Jews normally have associated with slavery? Not Jerusalem. Places like Egypt, places like Babylon. That's where the Israelites had been slaved, right? But Paul says, shockingly, that belonging to Jerusalem is akin to 
to being an exiled slave in Babylon or Egypt. So Jerusalem, this city in, in, in the Middle East, on the eastern part of the Mediterranean, look, that is not the city that you want or need to belong to. Here's, here's the city you need to belong to. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. What's the city that people need to belong to? It's not the, the earthly Jerusalem, but the heavenly one, the, the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above. And not only do we, do we want to or need to belong to that city, if we're trusting in Jesus, then Paul says we already belong to it. And folks, this heavenly city is infinitely better than the earthly Jerusalem. And of course, any other earthly city. So Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in verse 27 to make this point. Bear in mind, this is coming after um, Isaiah 50, 53. So he's quoting Isaiah 54 here. Isaiah 52 and 53. It's quoting, which speaks about the cross, right? It speaks about what Jesus would accomplish for us on the cross. So he says this. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. What's Paul doing here by quoting Isaiah? So he's saying that the Jerusalem above, that's going to have so many more inhabitants than the earthly Jerusalem ever will. And even if the the earthly Jerusalem look, looks impressive to the Galatians or, or to us, it is never, ever going to beat the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. They will have such a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That is the Jerusalem that you want to be part of. And that's a Jerusalem that you're already a part of if you have faith in Jesus. So the Judaizers, they want the Galatians to doubt that they're the real deal. But actually, it's the Judaizers who are not the real deal. The Galatians are genuinely God's people because through faith, they have the right mother. And they belong to the right city. But what happens if you, if you belong to the wrong mother and to the wrong city, like the false teachers do? Where does that path lead? Have a look at verse 29. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. 
Where does the road of the law taught by the false teachers lead? To a loss of the inheritance. The false teachers are saying, obey the law, be like us, and you'll get everything. And Paul says, be like them, and you'll lose everything. The false teachers are leading those who are following them into law obedience off the edge of a cliff. That's how dangerous their teaching is. If we're tempted to think, hey, surely trying to obey the law in addition to having faith can't be that bad. then Paul is finally revealing just how severe it is. You see, trying to be righteous by adding law observance to your faith, it isn't slightly different to purely trusting in Jesus for your righteousness. It's a difference between whether or not you're in the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the difference between whether or not you receive the eternal inheritance. So the stakes couldn't be higher. Now, it's precisely because this difference is not insignificant that the Judaizers persecute Christians who will not add law to their faith. So in verse 29, Paul says that just as Ishmael mocked his younger brother Isaac, so too the law observers mock or persecute those who live by faith. Now why do they persecute those with faith? If you follow the law, or if you're legalistic, it can so easily cause you to become self-righteous and to look down on those who live only by faith. This is why the Galatians, or they shouldn't be surprised if they get mocked or persecuted for living by faith and not, and not the law. This is exactly why Paul himself is persecuted. He says this, several times throughout the letter, and we'll see it in in coming weeks. And I think this is why Paul ends the note he does in chapter 5, verse 1. So he's been persecuted, and he knows that the Galatians will be as well if they go no to the law. Look at what he says. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Galatians are being enticed by the Judaizers to start obeying the law. And if they don't do that, if they don't obey the law, the Judaizers might tell them, I'm not sure you're the real deal, I'm not sure you're legitimate. Christian, and they might give him a hard time. So Paul says, stand firm 
hold your ground. Don't let them trick you into buying what they're offering. And if that, if that leads them to bullying you, don't cave. You're not a slave. So, so don't try to become one. You're free. I love those words. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Some Christian groups will add things to what it means to be a Christian. Like Seventh-day Adventists, who say that Christians need to meet on Saturdays instead of Sundays, because Saturday is technically the Sabbath. Here's the thing, though. We're free. In other groups and churches, it's wrong to do certain activities on a Sunday. Or it's wrong to listen to secular music. Or it's wrong not to dress smart on a Sunday. But brothers and sisters, you are free. So don't let anyone place burdens on you. Friends, do we live as though our righteousness depends even a little on how well we obey the law or keep certain traditions? Obeying the law is not what we're called to. It is to freedom that you have been called. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are the real deal through faith. And it is through faith alone that we are the real deal. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and cause us to keep on relying on Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, on his shed blood, and never on our own works. And Father, we pray that if there are any areas of our lives where we are maybe slightly legalistic um, or relying on these works or laws, Father, we pray that you would reveal those to us and help us to repent. Thank you that we are yours purely by faith. What a privilege that is, what a joy it is, and how reassuring that is. Thank you. Amen.